You're not in the closet this time. No, I'm not in the closet this time. I have, <laughs> I have my office available to me. <laughs> no, just uh, just the constant. Just reach over. Just, oh, we've got checks yeah. <laughs> totally. over here. Cracking pistachios and stuff. Yeah, yeah. of doom metal and its sister sounds based on their accounted tales of its followers every week we'll have a different guest to spin their yarn you can visit the website at diaryofdoom.com follow us on instagram like us on facebook follow the podcast on diaryofdoom.podbean.com and subscribe and listen to the podcast on apple podcast and spotify and if you have a question want to pitch something or whatever you can fire off an email to diaryofdoom1968 at gmail.com we also have a Patreon that you can support for additional episodes and whatnot. Uh, by the time this episode has uh, comes out, the first episode of the Sidecast movies from Green Hell will be out. Talk about the movie Freaked in the debut episode. Uh, so you can find that and more over at the Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash diary of doom. Joining us for this week's uh, chapter is a returning guest, John Wisniewski of uh, Sandrider, but also kicking off a solo project called Nuclear Dudes, which m might be not make any sense. Is there only one dude in Nuclear Dudes? <laughs> yes, just me. That's uh, it's a tip of the hat to uh, Thrones, who um, was a awesome, amazing one person band that was running out of the Northwest for a long time. I think still is technically. Uh, but he would always start his shows with "We Are the Thrones," yeah. Thrones being Joe Preston. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so. I, I feel like he's around. I I don't know. I I have he definitely. I haven't not seen him in uh, in and around my neck of the woods. Um, he he did a Seattle know. show, I think, with Sumac or something like that, right before lockdown happened. So I know he hadn't like stopped playing or anything like that. So. Pretty sure he's yeah. still around, but yeah, that's that's absolutely so. Like I always, I've had the band name Nuclear Dudes in my back pocket for a long time. Like I've always wanted to use that for some project, um, and then I started doing this one, and I just felt like it was just a good, fun, like silly name for sort of the vibe of this project. And yeah, it was a good, like you know, Thrones has already done that, sort of having a, a plural band name for a solo artist. So. I thought it was like the Lone Rangers, like in uh, <laughs> right. Airheads. Oh, uh, yeah, so good. If, if it's not like clear nuclear dudes is literally not doom metal. It's like oh, no. slamming death metal with synths, and it's uh, pretty rad. Um, and John does everything in it. Um, Thank you. Yeah. As I mentioned, John was on a previous episode where we showcased a few of the satanic royalty bands after that label launch. And... Uh, uh, as I said in the preamble, I, I just didn't give John's uh, original band Akimbo the time of day during the discussion. So I spent some time with the band checking it out. And, you know, I'm sure at this point, like you've talked about it a lot, but, you know, I felt like kind of obligated to have an episode about it or at least a little bit more about it. Like now mm -hmm. before uh, we get into nuclear dudes. And so, like, I guess my first question is, being someone who grew up in New Jersey, why on earth would a band from Seattle write an album about sharks in New Jersey? Uh, I've, that's a great question. Um, I've always uh, had an obsession with sharks ever since I was a kid. It's like, you know, how every, every kid gets like obsessed with like dinosaurs or robots or fire trucks or mm -hmm. something. Um, and it just never went away for me. And I've always had this like fascination slash fear slash like conservationist appreciation for the sort of the creatures that they are i always wanted to do a concept album sort of like a bucket list item 
for me. And then I was feeling like feeling the itch to do like, hey, let's like we should do a concept record. Let's do it. Like a heavy, dark concept album. And I read right around this time, I read this book called Twelve Days of Terror, which is about a series of shark attacks that happened on the Jersey coast around around the time of World War One. I think it's like nineteen fourteen or nineteen fifteen or so. And this book just blew my mind. And it's it is the true story that inspired Jaws, right? Yeah, or, Jaws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The author to write Jaws, which then became the movie. It's like it's a really fascinating story of like some insanely brutal shark attacks that happened in public areas. It occurred during a time where the, where like marine biology wasn't a thing. Like the thing what we knew about fish in the ocean at that time was all informed by sailors. Uh, and fishermen, right? So it's <laughs> probably delivered with like just glorious vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just a really fascinating story about how this small town sort of like dealt with the string of like very bizarre and abnormal shark attacks that happened. Um, there's a bunch of really interesting theories about why, and there's um, a whole bunch of really great story. There's a bunch of great storytelling about sort of like the events as they went down and. You know, there's obviously no eyewitnesses now, but um, they paint as close of like a of a story picture mm -hmm. for you as possible. And it's just a it was just a phenomenal book, and it was like seemed like a good candidate for you know to write a write a concept record around that tied in with something that I've been interested in my whole life. And so, um, <laughs> and so like I I wanted to give the album title like something that was sort of like not presumptuous, right? Like I didn't want it to be like sharks are going to fuck you up the album. right? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, we call it something sort of like mild that doesn't really hint at sort of like the subject matter all that much. Um, I felt like that was a good analogy to sort of like the sort of the fear and anticipation of something like a shark being just under the water where you can't see it, but you kind of know it's there. And um, so, yeah, I, w I was like, We'll just call it Jersey Shores because that has no association with anything. And literally the year that came out, the fucking TV show launched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. The very mild Jersey Shore, New Jersey, yeah. renowned for its mild, uh, calm, demeanored people. Right, right. And so that <laughs> no, was... it's mostly yelling. <laughs> <laughs> so that was sort of like... That was a, we we would have to explain that one a lot, like when that album first came out. Like, why is it called Jersey Shores? Does it has anything to do with that show? But nothing to do with the show. That's amazing. <laughs> but that's why. I mean, I, it does tattoo it, of the river right here where it happened. Oh, the is it Matawan? Yep, that's the yeah, river right there. That's the one. Yeah, I mean, like I I know of that lore, so you know by growing up in New Jersey and obviously like watching Jaws and fucking Shark Week and shit like yep. that given like what kind of band akimbo is where it was it's it's hard to really pin you into like a very specific sound because i mean you're doing all kinds of shit in that band it's fast mm -hmm. it's aggressive it's melodic it's uh conceptual it's esoteric i mean forging steel and laying stone in contrast uh -huh. to jersey shores is just yep. such an interesting like contrast because that one just feels very like weird and sci-fi and strange and and sort of like in a weird way like embodying a lot of classical metal aspects and yet it doesn't feel that way at all you know so yeah it's 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 remarkable like what you did in five albums <laughs> thank you <laughs> i mean we just like i want to say that we tried not to overthink it too much and just sort of write what what feels good. So the, the backbone of that band was me and the drummer, Nat, who's, who's in Sandrider was on the show previously mm -hmm. with me. And we've been, you know, best friends since high school and played music together since high school. Um, and when he and I play and write music together, it's very, um, it's like impulsive, I think is a good way to put it. Right. Like we're, we kind of like throw ideas around until, um, something just kind of clicks and all the energy is there and you don't have to like try and like break down a part and be like, no, no, no. So on the, on the three, you don't want to hit the kick. You want to do the snare on the three and I'm going to do this little transition. Like we try to avoid that altogether. And we try to like, we always really look for that. Like those practices where you're like, I have, I have this riff. I'm just going to play it for you guys. And then you play it and then 
the drums are like immediately on it and it's just like it just takes off right and that's always been sort of like what we've listened for in our practices i think i'm better about it now i used to be not as good about it but i'm, I'm better at recognizing when a song like that sort of like appears and then i'm better at recognizing when we're having too much trouble sort of like figuring out a vibe to a song and like an emotion behind a song to just scrap it just walk it back mm -hmm. we don't need it we don't need to force it it's fine we'll find another one that probably plays into a lot of sort of that scattered feeling of akimbo stuff is we're just like a lot of those songs are just like in the moment when we were writing them it they just clicked something about it just like worked we're like okay that we'll do that <laughs> you know it's not like you didn't have an impressive run or anything like that but kind of to you know go hand in hand with uh your own podcast uh uh, tomorrow we die. Mm -hmm. Like, it's got to be tough for a, a band like Akimbo, which is like not easy to like really, you know, get into a specific genre and like you know be a very active touring band. And I mean, I'm sure you get into that a lot <laughs> in your own podcast and the trials and tribulations to go uh -huh. through. But it's like, you know, the grit shows because a lot of people really just like fucking love that band. And it's also interesting to me that you kind of there wasn't really a dramatic ending it was you're just like all right that kind of it, it's done it was that was yeah. it you know and people are almost like what yeah it was um did not come to a bloody climax or anything it was so i mean it, it basically was like we we lost too many guitar players and it just sort of like wore us yeah. out so that the common theme with that band was just it was a constant search for a guitar player who was able to tour in the way that Nat and I wanted to tour. Uh, we just had a really tough time keeping a guitar player around who was who sort of like dedicated in that way. It was after Jersey Shores came out. Um, we had a rough year, really rough tour on Jersey Shores. Um, and I was pretty emotionally spent at the time. So I was like, oh, I just I think I just need a break. And maybe maybe we should tour less because <laughs> I'm getting tired. <laughs> And, and this, this was also around the time that Sandrider was starting to, and, um, Sandrider, the, the reason I wanted to start Sandrider was a, almost like a complete rejection of the work ethic that Akimbo had built up where mm -hmm. we were just going so hard and so fast. We never took time to just take it easy, rest. And it was like, it was starting to burn me out pretty hard. And so I started Sandrider because I just like, I've been playing bass in akimbo and i wanted to just try playing guitar again in a band um, and i also just wanted to not have any expectations i just wanted to have a band to just play and just feel the joy of making music with your buddies and not not feel like oh we have to practice twice a week because we got a show coming up or like we, we want to hit the studio soon so we got to make sure these things are really tight and then once the studio record is done we're going to hit the road so keep going keep going like i just i, I needed i needed to like connect with the art again and sort of like just feel the good vibes of, of playing loud music with your buddies just for the joy of it so that was sort of the why sandwriter got started and then you know akimbo was like just kind of wrecking me and then our guitar player quit and it was kind of like a chat with nat and i were like well what do we do like i'm feeling pretty burnt out we've got sandwriter and it's fun and awesome and easy um and i really don't want to try looking for another guitar player again and go through the whole thing of like putting the word out, meeting up with people, practicing with them, feeling out the vibe, teaching them a set, going on a tour, still feeling it out. Like I just didn't, we just didn't want to do it again. We're like, this seems like a good, you know, seems like the world is giving us a signal right now. You know, guitar players out, got a new thing going. Let's just call it a day. And we had, um, we had a whole album written. So we were like, well, let's, record our album and to you know sort of like punctuate the band so we recorded the last album when we already knew that we were breaking up we knew it wasn't, we weren't gonna tour on it <laughs> we're just gonna release it and walk away so just like kind of done deal on to the next thing um yeah yeah so it was it was very anticlimactic it was just sort of like, <laughs> we're just kind of exhausted and we're just like ah we're just gonna rest now I'm just gonna sit here and take a break <laughs> But that trajectory from Akimbo to uh, Sandrider now on to 
blast beat synth badness with yeah. nuclear dudes it's wild but like i guess it does track for someone like you because you're into like a, a lot of different kind of music and then when mm -hmm. it comes to that like i don't imagine you were ever content to stick with one style and you're very <laughs> into like wanting to experiment and sort of like now is no, no time like the present right yeah yeah i think I, i've always been a uh my whole life i've been a huge fan of extreme metal uh, more so than Nat or most of my bandmates that I end up playing with. I had a power violence band for a little bit that never went outside of Seattle. We did one release on, on a cassette. But yeah, I've never, I never had an avenue to sort of like creatively like get into some of my like extreme metal fandom. That's what Nuclear Dudes is for me. It's, it's kind of funny, like um, the original reason I started that project was because COVID was driving me crazy. I didn't have any like outlet or way to sort of like get creative. Like I'd been, I've been going to band practice every week for my entire life since I'm, I've been like a teenager. Right. And I've been playing at least one show a month for literally my entire life, like at least one a month. Right. Um, I just to have it all stop was just really brutal for me and I needed some sort of outlet. So figured out how to, how to do a little bit of home recording. And it was mostly just to keep, um, Sandwriter going because we were halfway done with an album. We wanted to keep writing, and so we were mm -hmm. like passing, you know, riff ideas around to each other on the on the computers. And then I was just like, I just need some sort of like creative focus to help keep my mind out of like all the awful that that I'm feeling and it's sort of like happening in the world. This is like as Trump's presidency is like coming to a like a horrific end, you know. So it's just like, <laughs> yeah, you're stuck in the house and you're like wondering if like. <laughs> like what's going to happen with black lives matter protests and it's just like it was just an awful time and so i just gave myself this project and i was just like i'm gonna write one song a week i'm gonna write like a brutal like 60 second power violence death metal disgusting fast song and i just do this once a week then i'll have this awesome catalog of like crazy style like pig destroyer ish blast metal so that was that was what i originally started the project doing um and then i very quickly realized that my hands can't play what i want to hear <laughs> i like, can't not... shred that fast man yeah man i come from punk right like like all of my guitar playing and bass playing has all come from like it's like like punk and rock influence more i just don't have the years and years of like palm muting and like technical you know shit i just can't do it man and so i so i realized like, all right okay so i, I can't <laughs> I can't make like pig destroyer style stuff. Like there, there's gotta be something else I can do to sort of like fill in some of the blanks here. Uh, and that's when I started playing around with synths. And then it clicked. I think the first song of the first album, Bad at Sleep, when I wrote that song, that I was like, aha, I have a thing here that feels good. feels like it's like totally my creative wheelhouse. And my other very, very, very long time musical passion in addition to extreme metal is like synth pioneer bands. Like I've always loved Kraftwerk, uh, Devo, Gary Newman, Two-Way Army and all that stuff. Like yeah, yeah. Stuff. Like Philip Glass, I've always loved that shit so much. And so sort of like, <laughs> I'll be honest, I was afraid to go synths because I was like, man, it's just gonna be a Genghis Tron ripoff. And I don't wanna be a Genghis Tron. <laughs> it did make me think of Genghis Tron. Yeah, yeah. And it totally like, I think, I, f I feel very confident in what it is now because like I was really scared to like just like peek under the synth and be like man I just don't want to end up being some sort of like derivative Genghis Tron bullshit um but I feel like it I went hard on Gary Newman because Gary Newman's a huge I'm a huge fan of his early stuff Gary um, Newman rules I saw yeah. him once yeah oh yeah me too Do you see him currently Where no he's like he he just rolled through town stuff? <laughs> no, but when I okay. saw him, uh, he did uh, he did two different sets. So the first set was all of you know like cars and yeah, all that yeah. classic shit, and then the second half was all of his you know like Nine Inch Nails sort of yeah. industrial. Scary Newman. Yes, yeah, scary. scary Newman. That's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> scary Newman. Um, yeah, and it was awesome. Like it yeah. was so rad. One of the best yeah. shows I've seen. I think. Yeah, no, he's he's a phenomenal songwriter. And so I think like, yeah, that's that's kind of just the story I told myself. It's just like it's just you're just showing your love for Gary Newman. So it's okay to have these synths in there. And I think um, yeah, I think it's different enough from Genghis Tron that it sits apart personally. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. 
No, I agree. I, I agree. I mean, I, you can hear the, like the similarities, but like, mm-hmm. I think like just the way that the synthesizer has like really come into the forefront of music, you know, I just listened to the new Carpenter Brew album and like how that like is so fucking in and like people just love that 80s sort of oh, vibe yeah. and what so and everything. So and I do too, you know, I, I like a lot of that shit. Um, but I do think yeah. this death metal synth seems to be a good match, you know. And yeah. um, another thing I was thinking was like, you, you can kind of benefit. I don't know if this is something you would like take on the road or do live, but like you could benefit from having a cool live or backing band that doesn't kind of exist in that space traditionally. So like, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're relying on a drum machine you know, uh, for this. Yeah, unless, you're, unless you're banging it out. I wish. God, I wish. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my brain understands drums. My body can't follow through. Um, I, I played drums a long time ago in a hardcore band. But yeah, I can't. Like, the, the drums that are programmed in there are, are pretty pretty technical. <laughs> but um, You'd have to rent the guy from Meshuggah to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that new album is sick, by the way. <laughs> it just came out. It's I haven't checked good. it out yet. Oh, super good. Um, yeah, in terms of doing it live, I don't, I would, I would love to be able to, but I think there are a couple huge factors in there that would prevent me from doing it. Um, one being like, there's a ton of work I'd have to do to just like, so I don't, (laughs) I don't know if I could find people who would learn Mm -hmm. the songs and play them live. So I think it'd have to be some sort of combination of live musicians and, or, um, just separating tracks and giving them to a sound guy for him to just or him or her to just mix through the the pa right but then that leaves me in a very awkward position where i'm just one guy with a microphone on stage and like (laughs) maybe maybe in my 20s i could have fronted a one-man grind project but i don't know dude if i have the the energy or stage presence to be entertaining just wiggling around <laughs> while music is playing over PA speakers, you know. So <laughs> you're just doing the vocals, <laughs> live. That's what yeah, I'm imagining. Yeah, yeah, live for sure. Yeah, no, I mean it was like it was totally a home recording project. So like even some of those guitar parts are like very careful playing stuff. I couldn't really pull off live, or if I tried to, I would have to practice a lot. You don't have like that. <laughs> you don't have like that gnarled hand that I imagine every death metal like player like is now because they've just been doing this for so long. Yeah, exactly. No, I don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another thing I thought of uh, when I was listening to it was uh, it reminded me of uh, Devin Townsend, who's a familiar face here. I've, I think I've mentioned that. I've, mm-hmm. I've Devin Townsend was like a pretty big. Uh, band or like artist for me in college and like his music is so fucking weird and everything but like even by the end of um strapping young lad you could kind of hear like that more bizarre influence in there and that kind of reminded me of that so like it's cool. cool to hear that sort of that extreme music like getting in there because strapping young lad is one of the heaviest fucking things i've ever heard and it's not slow it's very fast and very big yeah yeah I'm honored by the comparison. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, is there like plans to put it out as like, um, are you going to do like a, like a vinyl or a cassette or any like kind of like merch tie in or what have you? I would love to. I don't like, I need someone to help me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, what, what, what we gotta, we gotta brainstorm an idea, nuclear dudes. It's like, it's okay. a great name. It's a what? What? What could you do? What do you imagine Nuclear Dudes looks like? Oh, like what for? Like merch or just like a physical release? Oh no, no, no! I was just like saying, like what? What would like in your head? Like what does it? What does a Nuclear Dude look like on a T-shirt? Oh, oh, you know, a buddy of mine, um, TJ, who is King Dude. I'm not sure if you're familiar with King Dude. I am familiar with King yeah, Dude. Yeah, so he he grew up in Seattle. Like we we grew up. Um, you know, playing music in bands mm-hmm. together, like not in the same band together, but we were just buddies early on. And he did an art show in Seattle, like I don't even remember what year, but it was really good. It was like paintings of these like like cartoony paintings of like zombies and like half decayed people who were all like in thrash bands or like metal bands or like on skateboards and stuff. And so I think something kind of like that like 
like weird, like zombified creatures who are like playing flying bees or, <laughs> or like like shredding on a on a in a pool or something like that, you know, in an empty pool. I think that imagery like that comes to mind. I think a lot of like uh, '80s sci-fi horror stuff mm-hmm. is is sort of like what I picture this music going well with. And then also like um, my the album art for for the record is uh, like this creature that my son drew. He's six years old. Uh, <laughs> and around Halloween, he just started drawing monsters, and they're so cool. And I know every parent says, like, oh, my kids' drawings are so cool. But they really are. Like, they're very, like, bizarre sort of, like, stick figure creatures with interesting details on them and, like, really weird, creepy proportions, like long, stretchy fingers and, like, a really weird-shaped head. (laughs) When he did those, um, my wife and I loved them so much that we just sort of, like, set the drawings aside. And I, I was, like, writing Nuclear Dude stuff, and they were, like, the drawings were, like, in in a place in the kitchen where you could there like always an eyesight right and so i would always just like look at them and i'd have these songs going through my head and so they kind of became like these little creatures kind of became synonymous with the project and so yeah right now right now my plan is to have one of those guys on, on every record album release nice forever. yeah i got a bunch i got like 14 albums i can make out of those dudes <laughs> yeah and like you don't even have to pay them mm-hmm Yep. <laughs> you just got to give them, you got to feed them and give them housing. Yeah, exactly. I'll pay you in pasta with butter and salt. <laughs> you go. He might have to like, he might try to renegotiate at some point for something a little more like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Like, you know. he's going to be like, I would like to go to bed 30 minutes later. It's like, ah, <laughs> uh, that's a tough deal, dude. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, buddy. He doesn't have much to demand because it's not that those albums are going to actually make a profit or anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't know like how many, I'm sure people know, but like, you know, you also work in the video game industry and like, mm-hmm. I don't know how much you're allowed to talk about and like, you know, what you've done. I don't know anybody who works in the video game industry. I think the video game industry is fucking very weird from yeah. kind of like, I've played video games my entire fucking life, um, nice. but I'm not like a hardcore gamer. Like some people I am friends with, or just people that I watch on like YouTube or anything mm-hmm. like that. Like it's not my it's not my life, but I've always enjoyed them. Is there any similarity to working in the video game industry as there is like being in a band and you know being in a music scene? Is there any similarity to it? Probably. Yes, I think so. Uh, it de- I think it depends a lot on your discipline and sort of like what you do in the games industry. I'm a designer, so I I am luckily involved with a lot of like creative stuff, creative decision making. And I would say in, in that regard, it is extremely similar to being in a band. So you think about if you're in a band, you are a group of people creatively coming together to try and make some sort of cohesive experiment. Um, there's little bits of each person represented in the music that comes out, and, but each person is sort of like doing their thing in collaboration with each other to make like a song or an album. And so in principle, it's super similar to working in games where you have animators, artists, designers, engineers, like all these different creative disciplines that have to come together. Each person sort of like exercises their own creative output through their discipline. And at the end of the day, it gets, you know, packaged together and, you know, is, is a thing for people to consume. And so the way it gets similar is sort of like how you, how you can effectively communicate with your band, AKA your development team. And it's just like, it'll vary from person to person, but I think I, I was inherently a little bit better at, um, sort of the emotional like empathy that comes with needing to be um, a collaborator where you have you have to ride this line where you're, you have to advocate for sort of your creative desires and things that you care about and also give room for other people to do their thing. Um, and sometimes that means, you know, like if like bringing it back to a band analogy and sometimes that means, you know, I if I wrote a song and I, I thought it was going to be in like 
thought it was gonna be like a gallopy sort of like riff and then the drummer hears it and he's like no man we're slowing this down i'm going halftime you know then it's like it's not what i intended but what he's doing is not necessarily bad so i mean i could just like change the way i'm strumming a little bit and sort of like work with what he's doing you know that kind of stuff happens in game development all the time and so you need to be creatively resilient and ready to walk away from your ideas to collaborate with people yeah, so there, yeah, there are some similarities for sure. Is it as, you know, you know, given some of the stories you've told on uh, Tomorrow We Die and some of the stories that have been told on there, I mean, uh, and just sort of like my peripheral knowledge of like the deeper video game uh, world, like, it, is it as strange as I perceive it to be? Because like, I mean, I did used to read like all the old gaming magazines and like that's, but it never really made much of a blip on bigger radar until like, I don't know, King of Kong was a thing. It's a great doc, mm -hmm. by the way. Such yeah, a good documentary. That's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. And fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Billy Mitchell. Fuck you, Billy Mitchell. I, I guess I don't know what you mean by strange. Like, is it strange? It's like the only career I know. So I guess to rephrase it is like, how does one find themselves getting into the video game industry? It doesn't seem like something mm -hmm. that a lot of people just sort of like, I guess you have to like be really like, that's what I want to do. That, that's, I mean, that's how it works for mm -hmm. me. I'm in Seattle and the Nintendo of America office is over here in Redmond, which is a suburb right outside Seattle. And when I was 18, I heard a rumor that you could get a job testing games for Nintendo. And once I heard that was true, that's, that was my focus like that. I'm going to do that. That's what I want to do. So, I mean, that's how I got into it basically was wow that's as soon awesome. as i realized it was a thing <laughs> i just ran at it it's hard to go it just seems like a complete and total fantasy it yeah it's definitely not what most people think it was so um i don't know what it's like to test at nintendo now but when i was there this is like fuck it's over 20 years ago oh man that's you get, you God, get hired so yeah. weird and interesting now uh -huh. you get hired as a contract tester so you're on contract, right? You don't interview with Nintendo. You interview with an agency that they just bring in massive amounts of people with. So you have to get hired by a contracting agency. Uh, they have an interview and a questionnaire that I did, which is basically an idiot test. It's just like very, very simple, easy, straightforward questions that you write down answers to. It's just trying to figure out like, are you, are you capable of like basic reading and writing and like, mm -hmm. Being, like, do you have any sort of like analytical mindset at all when it comes yeah, to Yeah, can you tell left media? from right? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so you do that. And then, so I got in on my first contract. The very first thing they do is all the people on their first day, they go into a conference room and you get this long lecture by one of the full-time leads there about how important the job is and how they don't tolerate any slacking, et cetera, et cetera. Another thing to keep in mind too, this doesn't excuse any of the bad behavior that was in the games industry at the time in terms of like crunch and work culture and expectations. Um, but something to keep in mind is that nowadays when you release a game, you can patch it. Even if it's not a live services game, it's connected to the internet somehow. And so you can continue to support your game after, after a certain amount of time for as long as there are players playing. In 98, and for a long time after that, when your game was done, it was done. And that was what your game would be forever. Um, so <laughs> oh, yeah. Lot, well, yeah. that explains why I played some really bad games over the yeah. years. A lot of the toxic behaviors that I think were common in the industry and still are common in the industry, unnecessarily so, I don't think are excused by that. But it, it, I think it's helpful context when you're thinking about, like, you know, the fate of a whole company could be on the success and the reception of a game. And so everyone kind of needed to make sure that they treated that really, really importantly, gave it a lot of, a lot of weight because, um, yeah, super important for a studio to be able to go on to have successful games. So yeah, there's some of the context there. So, but yeah, so like we're at Nintendo, they get, they're just lecturing us tell right away that like oh this is not a like a fun job like this is this is serious business and like these people are not going to be flexible so i i was i could tell day one i was like okay just keep my head down 
and I just want to try and kick ass at this. Like, I just want to silently kick ass at this. So I went as hard as I could. And like, when I first started, everything's all on databases now. Like when you log a bug, it's all in the database now. Back then you literally had to write it down on a sheet of paper. Like they had a, a template, <laughs> a blank template piece of paper. So if you found what you thought was a problem in the game, you had to write it up in like painstaking detail with a pen and paper. Uh, at all times you were testing, um, you had a, a videotape taping the TV and the, the, the console. Um, and so when you found what you believed to be a bug, you needed to note the timestamp on the VCR as like, this is what the lead should watch when they read this bug, go back to this video. And then you, basically at the end of the day, you'd hand in all your bug papers and you'd hand in your videotapes. And it was some, some poor bastard's job to go in and like digitize all those videos and, and oh my God. re-enter yeah, re <laughs> re the, the paper bugs into their, their database, probably because they didn't trust contractors with access to a computer is probably why. Um, and yeah, man, people get fired all the time for just like little things because you're a contract workforce, right? Yeah. They just like, if you're slacking, they just get, if you're perceived to be slacking, they just like get rid of you and bring in someone else. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I worked super hard, contract was over, and I had to keep looking for work <laughs> in the games industry. It took a while before I finally got a good spot. That's crazy that they had yeah. to do like all of that like manual entry. And oh man, I would love to have one of those tickets. That would be so cool yeah. to have. Yeah. <laughs> you have one? No, 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 no. You have to hand it all into your lead, man. Oh man. And they were like, oh, they're so um so hardcore about uh because you're working on games that aren't out yet, right? Right. So no one's allowed to have cell phones out while you're there. All the all like the Nintendo consoles are literally under lock and key. So you go to work. Oh my god! And you sit. You have to sit at your desk and wait for a lead to come around with a key. Unlock a big metal box above your desk. Open it. Put in the ROM for the whatever game you're testing. Close it. Lock it. And walk away. And then they do. <laughs> they it's like do buying this. alcohol in Boston. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, and then they would do the shit too, where no one's no one on the team is allowed to leave until they take inventory of all the 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 ROMs that went out to all the desks. It'd be regular where like like you're leaving for the day and you just see some other poor teams working on some game you're not. It's just like stuck there, and their lead is like yelling and accosting them because one of the ROMs is missing, and they of course they default to uh, blaming the contractors when always inevitably it's just one of the, the whoever took the wrongs like misplaced one right or like they screwed up but you just have to sit there and wait for them to like scream at you and like check people's backpacks and shit like that to try and get their wrong back jesus yeah, it's wild it's wild i hope they don't do that anymore because it, it was bad <laughs> it's just like for uh the the fact that you're making something that's supposed to be fun and entertaining mm -hmm. it just sounds so mm -hmm. grueling and yep. i guess that's kind of like being in a band like yep. <laughs> it's 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 a lot of fucking work but in the end yep. it's gonna be worth it and the people who stick through it are the ones who truly love it mm -hmm. <laughs> for better or for worse so i guess then my obviously the next uh question is how is elden ring going oh my god so good <laughs> so fucking good <laughs> Uh, I'm a dad, so I don't get to play as much as I want, but, um, yeah, I'm like, uh, I think I'm like level 60 now. I just beat General Radon. Was that his name? Yeah. Big General yeah, I, on the I, horse. So I'm not playing it, but my, oh. uh, girlfriend is playing it and, uh, I believe, hang on, I, I'll ask her. <laughs> I think she beat Radon. Did you beat Radon? Radon? Radon. And... Radon, I think that's that was his name. I don't know. You're not really looking at their names when you're like trying to survive in those big <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm a. I'm like a fake fan. I'm just a poser. Um, but you know, I was. I. I was very entertained when I uh, saw you talking about like just the uploading of it, and I'm like, I knew this was going to be a fucking nightmare for everybody. So, yes, it's she. Uh, yeah, she. Yeah, she defeated him. But um, yeah. I'm. I'm considering picking it up at some point. It seems cool. It's like. Mm -hmm. It's pretty metal. Oh, it's extremely metal. I've, I've been a fan of that studio's games for a very long time. So I've followed all their games. It's the other Miyazaki. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, it's a, they're such a weird visual style. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're they're like a masterclass at 
game design, I think. Quite masterful with how everything works together and how the game is difficult. It is designed to be difficult because it pushes you harder as a player. Uh, and growth and accomplishments in that game are not because you just you grinded out and killed 400 goblins and got 800 gold pieces to buy the you know the chain armor and the silver sword and now you can defeat the ogres in the swamp it's because the mechanically the game forces you to play in a way where you actually improve as a player and so there are systems in place kind of like that where you will level up parts about your character will get stronger mm -hmm. over time but truly it's because you get better as a player because the game is so demanding so that like you have these boss fights that just fucking test you they test your skills they test your patience they test your like uh like how calm you can remain under like a stressful situation because oh yes i've heard a lot second, of the second, <gasps> yeah the second you start button mashing and like losing your patience is when the game just fucking kicks your ass and you're just like no you have to stay calm and focused and like really pay attention and then when you when you finally overcome one of these challenging moments it's a feeling like none other like you do you just know games that do that for you it's just like and it's not because sometimes it's because you got lucky but usually it's because you did it like you figured out the right sequence of attacks how to dodge them how to counter of attack you did it over and over and over again until you finally finally you know accomplish the thing and it's just such a tremendous feeling and so all the everything in the game is this whole like series of systems that all lead into this like this sort of like pace this really slow hard pace of like you're gonna you're gonna face a lot of challenges but if you just stay calm observe what's around you slowly improve over time you're going to overcome something that felt like you couldn't achieve it when you originally came up against it which is kind of an analogy for life. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like yeah. an, another analogy for being in a band. And at some yeah. point, yeah. you're just going to be like, hey, we can do that, and it's not a problem. Yeah. So, yeah, those uh, yeah, FromSoft games are masterful. And I, I would say that Elden Ring is their best one yet. So, highly recommend. Nice. I will. I mean, I was pretty hard into Skyrim, and that game was broken. And yeah. <laughs> I was not allowed to finish it, as I've yeah. said a couple times before. So this game seems to actually work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For the most part. Like I said earlier in the episode, I was uh, peeping the Red Fang episodes today, and I got to yeah. the part where you were very high at Dale Crover's house <laughs> and talking to Dale Crover. Uh -huh. And, you know, at the risk of embarrassing you further, and since it is... 420 month do you have any other good weed stories you have noted oh, that you yeah. are bad at being stoned <laughs> yeah. which i was just remarking that uh to my girlfriend and 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 uh, she said you know you're pretty good at being stoned i'm like yeah but like when they're talking about this level of stoned like that's not a good level of stone that's bad <laughs> that's when like your brain just starts going like <laughs> yeah I think I do have, so I have, I have one good weed story from tour. Dylan, I've been saving this one for my show, but I'm going to say it on your show first. I'll, <laughs> still, I'll still say it on my show, but. Um, oh man, you heard it first here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I do have a weed related tour story. So keep in mind that like, this is before, this is years before I got stoned with Dale Crover and couldn't speak. This is back when I kind of just didn't just didn't fuck with weed at all because it kicks my ass. And then being in a, a scrappy touring band with a cheap van that looks like shit and everyone's hairy and filthy and scruffy, you're a magnet for cops to get pulled over. Like any, and you know, you're driving through, you may be playing Chicago, but you're driving through some podunk shit yeah. to get there, right? Where they're not necessarily going to be super kind to your, your van when you drive through town and they also have all these speed traps on these little roads these little highways too where like it'll be like speed limit will be like 60 and and then you'll get in with some city limits right and then there'll be one speed limit sign that says oh now it's 25 motherfucker and if you miss that sign or if you're just like eh, i can go 45 it's fine then the cops will pull you up and give you a hard time so plus you're like probably trying to get to the fucking venue right right well and also like when you um 
when you spend hours driving 70 miles an hour, like you get used to things going 70 miles an hour. So yeah. slowing down to 25 feels like you're basically stopped. It's like, <laughs> it's really hard for your brain to handle that change in speed. Anyway, so this is all context for before the story. So we know that we're likely to get fucked with. We have been many times. So we just kind of have a band rule that's no drugs in the van at all. Straight up rule. Like we're not, we're not anti-drugs at all. Like if mm -hmm. we're at a show or a party and people want to get fucked up, go right ahead. Um, but the second we step into the van, we don't want anything in there because we're likely to get fucked with by cops and whoever is driving is legally liable. Um, and it sure would suck if somebody felt like, oh, I should, it'd be nice to have a little weed on me in the van. And then, you know, me or Nat or somebody goes to jail because of that. So like, nobody wants this. So we have this rule, no drugs in the van. We are driving through Montana on our way to Minneapolis, I believe. That's very far away away, but we're just doing this crazy suicide drive from the Northwest all the way to Minneapolis to start a tour. This was, I think we had the most people in our van than we've ever had on a tour before. So we had two roadies and me and Nat and a guitar player, a guy whose name was Stacy, who was just a sub guitar player because mm -hmm. our other guitar player couldn't go on this tour. And our two roadies, one of them is this guy, Yanni, who's been with us on a bunch of tours. And one of them is this guy, Blair, who I worked with at a bar and just wanted to go on tour. I was like, hey, you want a roadie? He's like, yeah, I'd love to. So um, he just came with us. <laughs> we have this easy sell. Yeah. And so so our, our guitar, our sub guitar player, Stacy, is driving the van. We're hungry. We see a sign that says Subway. We're in the middle of Montana, like shitty towns everywhere. You know, freeway science is like food this way. We see Subway. He's vegetarian. Subway is one of those places you can depend on to get vegetarian food. It's hard to find vegetarian food on tour that isn't going to like make you sick. Right. Right. So he sees a sign. It's like Subway. I'm starving. Let's go to Subway. So we pull off the freeway. We need gas. So we stop at the gas station, get gas. And then we drive over to the Subway and the Subway's closed. And he's like, fuck. So he just like pulls a U-turn in the Subway parking lot, gets back on the freeway and we go. Three, four minutes later, we've got the lights flashing. He pulls over. He gets asked to step out of the van and go behind it. So we're all sitting in the van. Stacy's been pulled behind the van. We don't know what's happening. Um, so he told us later that, so the cops have been watching us for miles. He said that the cops saw us try to shake them off their tail back in town. <laughs> So, and we actually didn't, we didn't think anything. It's a rogue it. band of right. thieves. Right. <laughs> we didn't think anything of it, but the, uh, when we were getting gas at the gas station, a state trooper pulled up next to us and got gas. And I remember he kind of, he followed, I can't remember who went into pay because we paid cash mm -hmm. for the gas. He followed whoever went into pay cash. And I remember afterwards thinking like, that's really weird. I've never in my life seen a cop or a state trooper just get gas at a public gas station. So it's like, okay, they were following us. They saw us pull up. He pulled up next to us, followed us in, just trying to stay within earshot, right? But <laughs> so they thought, they thought we were hip to them following us and that we were trying to like lose them when we pulled this U-turn in the subway parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> And so I guess at this moment, they're like, okay, we need more, like send all the buddies, send the boys. And so we had this like train of like seven cop cars behind our van. And here's the other thing about our fucking van. We had, it's like an 89 Ford Econoline or something like that. Um, it had no air conditioning. So this thing would get brutally hot in the summer. Like you'd roll all the windows down and it'd just be like hot air blowing on your face, just melting. Um, so you're so sitting on asphalt. Hot. It's so freaking hot in there. So Nat had this idea. He's like, hey, maybe we can put some sort of treatment on the windows to like bounce some of the heat out. So we got this like cardboard and we put um, aluminum foil all on one side. So we had this like reflective aluminum foil all down our van, which basically <laughs> made us look like a traveling meth lab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or you're like or really paranoid about the government. Right, right. So we're basically, we look like a meth lab the cops think we're trying to shake them and they they show up they do the whole speech to stacy about like just tell us 
we know you have drugs. Just tell us who has them and where they are, and this will all go really smooth. And he's like, we don't have drugs. None of us have drugs. I promise you we don't have drugs. Because we had given, Stacy was a sub-guitar player. We had given him the lecture prior. It was like, dude, mm -hmm. no drugs in the band. Big deal. He's like, not going to be a problem. And we're like, seriously, no fucking drugs in the band. So he is ultra confident that there's no drugs in the band. And so, but the cops keep going and they bring the dogs and the dogs come sniff all around the van and shit. And it's just this big, long thing. Like he gets threatened to take, get taken to jail. They open up the van door. The dog comes in, is like sniffing around everyone's backpacks. And the dog doesn't sniff anything. They can't find anything. And so they have to let us go, right? So they very reluctantly let us go. We're driving again. And Stacy was like super paranoid and like freaked out. He's like, I'm not, yeah, yeah, I'm not turning on this van until they all leave. So we waited there like an extra 20 minutes for all the cops to just like turn around and go back to their, their town they were from. Finally start heading down the road. We're driving. And suddenly our van smells like weed. And I was just like, that's the weed. That's so funny. Like our van smells like pot. After all that crazy, like, I wonder what that is. And then um, Yanni, our roadie, he says, um, can we pull the van over? Uh, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and no. so we pull over, he goes out, and he starts vomiting into the grass because Yanni had a couple joints that he had snuck on tour, and he knew that they were not allowed, but he's like, I want to have some joints on this tour. And when we got pulled over, he ate them. <laughs> Because he was so freaked out. Um, so he just crammed them in his mouth and ate them. And he had this, the whole time, he had this horrific burp sitting in his stomach. And he just held it in. And then <laughs> yes. everything's safe and we get going. And he burps up this, like, weed fume. And then he's, he was getting so sick that he had to get out and bar. But, yeah, so that's my other weed story from tour. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> I don't even think I have one that comes close to that. <laughs> I was like, think of one, think of one, but like, I'm not going to bother. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's more of a cop's fucking with people story than it is a weed story, but. But it does involve weed. So like, it that's does. totally it like does. par for the course. And like, you know, cops are just like part, they're unfortunately part of the, the whole thing, but like, oh, man, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> Damn. Well, beyond all that, um, have you been listening to anything else? We, we touched on a few albums here and there that have come out recently. Um, yeah. Uh, the I'll try to keep it to like new stuff, new hotness. Oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. New Evile is really good. I don't know if you've ever heard Evile. I have They're not. Like UK thrash metal band. They um they used they they haven't done a record in a while. They used to sound like um like early Master of Puppets era Metallica. But this new one that came out is, is a little bit more brutal in a good way. So it's a little bit different. Actually, it kind of reminds me kind of of the, of the Haunted a little bit. But yeah, New Evil is pretty, pretty ripping. I don't know where you sit with this band. I know they're like, they're pretty polarizing. Some people love them and some people think they're an absolute like stain on the, the history of metal, but... 311? The new Ghost album. <laughs> I think it's oh, fantastic. I did like it. I mean, yeah. like, I enjoy all the Ghost albums. Like, I'm definitely a fan, I would say. I definitely prefer the earlier stuff to the later stuff, but I certainly enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm just a fanboy for that band. I, I love all their stuff. So, yeah, I've been jamming that a lot. Um, there's this band from Oakland called Glowing Brain that sort of does this, like, D-beat, dirty punk rock stuff it's super killer they put out a record um i think in october last year it's my favorite record of the year last year shit what else jess band who i do the, the podcast with they mm -hmm. just released um his band get the yankee just released a, an album that's fantastic pretty heavy like metal punk stuff do you ever hear jeff's old band blood hag no that's a good name for a band it is Reminds me a lot of Blood Hag in a really good way. Check out both of them. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to tell you anything about Blood Hag. You just go look it up. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're a trip. They're they're legends. All right. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. You sold. 
Uh, let's see, what have I been enjoying? Previous guest, uh, Lost Tribes of the Moon. I liked their album. It's all based on like Books of Blood by mm -hmm. uh, um, Clive Barker. Um, oh, killer! So, yeah, it's it's all cool shit. Um, so that was pretty cool. Like very like weird, some long form like prog stuff and like mm -hmm. trad metal and whatnot. So um, Satanic Royalty, uh, Neighbors, Isme, their new album was pretty damn good. Oh yeah. Uh, it's so good. Oh, dude, have you heard the Dark Meditation record he did? Yeah, it's fucking killer. Oh, fuck. That's my shit, man. That, like, that sort of, like, late 80s, like, transition from, like, hair metal into, like, heavy yeah. rock metal, but s still kind of glammy, but but also, like, now we're evil. Now it's evil. Yeah. Like, the, like, the early, like, Danzig One record, like, oh, my God, that shit's so good. They do it so well. Oh yeah, dude, they nailed it. Like I was, uh, I was not sure like where they were gonna go with it. I was like, damn, this is really good. So like, mm -hmm. I've been really enjoying the trad metal uh, trend that's been like coming around, and yeah. there's like a bunch of bands like that here in New York, like Shadowland and Tower, that fucking whip ass at doing that kind of stuff. Sweet. What else? Um, oh, the new Author and Punisher is fucking awesome. I yeah, I, yeah, we've talked. I've talked to a lot of, not a lot, but like I've definitely talked to quite a few people so far on here that are like that's definitely going to be up there. I think for a lot of people yeah. in terms of like really total banger of an album uh, for the year. This band Convent, they put out a record a few years ago, but they put out another one called Call Down the Sun, and mm -hmm. uh, it's all women in the band, and uh, yeah, it's fucking heavy as hell. And it Killer. Works. Nice. <laughs> so, strongly uh, recommend that one. And then... Oh, uh, I gotta plug my brother-in-law's new band. It's this band from Seattle that just got started, that my brother-in-law started. Um, they're called Nurser. You can find them on Bandcamp. They only have like their first CD out, but it's like it's fucking brutal death grind. It's really good, like fast, heavy, harsh, abrasive metal. Nurser, Nurser, good name. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, they're killer. Awesome. Uh, I'd be remiss to say if I didn't mention going to see uh, Morgul Blade uh, from Philadelphia, which is sort of like a trad doom trad metal band. Uh, saw them with. Uh, the aforementioned Shadowland and uh, Massachusetts. Yeah, Massachusetts. I think they're from Massachusetts. <laughs> I can, let me just make sure that don't, don't want to say anything wrong. Don't those listeners to correct you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fucking Worcester, too. Uh, Worcester, Massachusetts band, High Command. Fucking what a gross, disgusting show that was at St. Nice. Vitus, but had a really fucking good time. Took some, got to take some really cool pictures there. So that was, uh, yeah, fucking, I could not believe how many shows I went to in March. It's kind of like unreal. Um, and I guess, you know, got to take it while I can, you know, yeah. who knows what's going to happen. I know. I know. You got to, yeah, I have, I've only been to two shows since sort of like the risk levels have sort of like died down a little bit, but I don't, uh, my family, my household has been a little bit more careful than the average person. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not going to be going to shows every weekend or anything. I'd like to, I think uh, horrors are coming through soon. So I'm going to try and go to that. I've never checked that band out or if I have, I haven't given them enough time. So yeah, they're good add them in there. Yeah. They're, they're good. I, I think they're one of my favorite bands playing right now. They're, they're pretty awesome. It's just very, um, very simple, simple riffs that are just like so tasty. As a, as a person who also plays guitars, and I'm always on the quest for like those really, really simple riffs that sound so familiar but are still original somehow. In my opinion, that's that's I prefer that over like super technical stuff. Mm -hmm. um, just like a good hook. Horrors are kind of like masters at just finding those really really basic simple bluesy riffs that sort of bounce and swing but then they just like put so many fucking pedals on it it just sounds like a <laughs> wall of noise it's so good they're good they're great check them out i will so 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 just like a zero response on dream theater's grammy win then <laughs> <laughs> Congrats, I guess. <laughs> I used to be so into them. And like, if that had happened, like, you know, like several years ago, I would have been like, yeah, but I'm just like, eh, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do love technical proggy stuff. I do. But um, 
if I'm just doing the dishes, I'm usually not going to put on something super technical. <laughs> no, if you're doing the dishes, you need something like a little yeah. bit more mundane than that. I, I, I tap my toes. I can tap my toes. <laughs> Is there anything you want to plug and where people can find out about Nuclear Dudes and whatnot? Yeah. Nuclear Dudes is a re recording only project at the moment. So all we have is just a Bandcamp page. Uh, just go to the URL, nucleardudes.com. The first EP is up there. Uh, eight songs of synth metal bullshit. Um, <laughs> and then I, I play guitar and sing in Sandwriter. Um, you go to sandwriter.bandcamp.com. Yeah, we've got three albums under our belt fourth one coming up soon doing stuff with satanic royalty it's been great excited for the new album and then yeah i'm a i'm a co-host of a podcast which is all about the fucking wild shit that musicians go through to play shows on tour it's called tomorrow we die we're on all the major podcast stuff you can check that out yeah our last our last interview was with red fang and we've got a couple recorded on their way to the editor right now and working on more guests so we're about to launch a bunch like pretty pretty stoked for the next couple of interviews are pretty good i consider myself a fan i yeah. really really fucking dig it and uh, i'm excited to be revisiting it and i'm excited that there's new stuff coming out um cool like, this is very much my shit like i i, I love to hear about the nitty-gritty i mean mm -hmm. There's some dicey shit that, that comes up in there. I mean, it's like, yikes. It is not, yeah. I don't think you, I don't, I think one of the beauties of it is that like, yeah, you definitely have a good time like talking about the stories and laughing about them, but you don't make any, you don't put up any kind of airs of like, that this is, you know, a simple, easy thing. Like, oh yeah. Like, no. Not all the stuff that <laughs> happens is like, sure. It's like kind of fun to talk about now, but in the moment, I'm sure suck for a lot of these bands. Yeah, yeah. You should. Um, I don't know if you have you listened to the first episode. Yes, Lu Lupe. Oh my god, that one is just. The, it's still the, one of the craziest ones we've ever had. Partly because Lupe is wonderful and a great storyteller, but yeah, man, some of the shit she went through is just like it blows my mind. I can't believe it. <laughs> it's like I. I think the one that really like stuck with me was uh, with Lisa Mungo when oh, I yeah. believe the quote for the episode is, "We don't have any food. We have crime." crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're in Albuquerque. She just gets chased by a meth head. Yep. It's like long, drawn out. It's just like shit out of a horror movie. She's. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it. Like people should go listen to it if they're interested. But basically they're on tour someone's getting tattooed she's bored i'm gonna go walk down the street and find something to do a shirtless huge meth addict freaks out and starts chasing her she runs into the van as the guy is trying to like you know grab the door and pull it open she closes it and locks it the guy disappears she starts the van he like pops up in front of the hood she's driving away as this guy is like climbing out of the van. <laughs> like yeah it's horrifying she just wanted to like go get a sandwich at the store you know it's like it's so awesome i would like to get a sandwich awesome. meth head yeah it's insane and it's just like that's the shit that happens i guess that would happen to somebody not on tour too but you know it's a it's a story tour story <laughs> that's what we do. um but yeah definitely go check out tomorrow we die uh it's great and uh looking forward to hearing that and more clear dudes and uh yeah it's fun to check out something new and different uh here once in a while you know throw curveball at people yeah so uh thanks for coming back on the show john appreciate it oh yeah anytime this is awesome thank you that'll do it for this chapter of the diary